Hey guys, it's Reagan here. Today, we're going to be talking about how the Industrial Revolution ruined everything. So we'll get into that in just a moment, but I wanted to let you know that Redeeming Productivity Academy is now officially open. And if you don't know what that is, Redeeming Productivity Academy is my membership that pairs a training program to help productivity-minded Christians reach their goals with a community to keep each other accountable along the way. I've spent the last three months working with 50 founding members in a sort of pilot program, and we have honed this community and this program into something I really think is truly special. And I'm very pleased to announce that we are now accepting new enrollments for 2022. So if you are a Christian who is struggling to get organized, manage your time well, or you just want to be more productive for God's glory, you've really found your tribe here. So I invite you, come on over, join us, check out Redeeming Productivity Academy. There'll be a link in the description, or you can just go over to redeemingproductivity.com and click the courses button, and you can learn more about the academy. All right, let's get into the show. The Industrial Revolution has brought us untold prosperity. There's so many commendable things. But you have to consider what has been lost. You have to try, I think, to gain some objectivity about your moment in history so that it, you don't fall prey to some of the mistakes that living in this moment can lead to. I just wonder, is the way that we're doing it the way that the Bible talks about managing our time well? Or is it the way that Henry Ford talks about managing our time well? Because those are different. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Well, guys, it's just me today. This is a solo episode and you're in for a treat because I'm about to go on a rant. Well, it might not be a treat. We'll see. You know, my thinking about productivity has obviously changed over the years. Um, I've been interested in this topic since I was in college, and I've been writing and talking about it for about five or six years now. But these days, my thinking goes a lot more towards topics like slowing down, doing less, deeper work, you know, focused over frantic. And this season of the podcast, my intention of it was that it would be all about slow ductivity. And most of it was, though we did touch on some random topics like Bitcoin and the metaverse. But in this episode, I want to talk about, instead of the future, I want to talk about history. We're going to talk about the past. I want to talk about what I think is the source of many of our productivity woes, and that's the Industrial Revolution. So I've kind of tongue-in-cheek called this episode How the Industrial Revolution ruined everything. And I do mean that tongue in cheek. I think there are many, many benefits, obviously, to the Industrial Revolution. One of them is, you know, we have these crazy computers. I can put my voice out there on the internet. You can listen to it on your phone. It's wild. And also the untold prosperity. Don't forget that. But a lot of things have been affected negatively by the Industrial Revolution. I think it's wise to take a look at that and kind of understand them so that we can make adjustments where necessary and not just accept the assumptions of the present age we live in. So I'm going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about how 
the Industrial Revolution has ruined work satisfaction, it ruined our understanding of time, it ruined the household, and it ruined productivity. We might even talk about freedom a little bit there too. Again, I told you, this is going to be a rant episode. That's short for rant episode. But hopefully it'll be interesting to you. And you'll see where this is all going as we get further into it and how it relates directly to how you think about your work and your productivity and life as a steward of God's resources for God's glory today. So this has been made all the more prescient in my mind by actually the episodes we did recently on the metaverse and on Bitcoin and just looking at all the new emerging technologies that are coming out. And there's a lot of excitement around them. I have a lot of excitement about them, but I want to be a clear-eyed thinker on them. And I've been thinking more about how we evaluate the pitfalls of our current moment in history and also how we can be careful not to jump wildly into potential pitfalls of you know, whatever the next moment in history is, whatever technological revolutions are around the corner. So to do that, let's begin by looking backwards. Here's how the Industrial Revolution ruined everything. First, I think the Industrial Revolution, in a lot of ways, ruined work satisfaction. Henry Ford's continuous motion assembly line was ingenious. In fact, I live very close to the Henry Ford Museum. I'm probably going to go there tomorrow, actually. And you can hear and see a lot of the history and even parts of what he did to build this amazing step forward in automation and in industry. And it's incredible what he did with the assembly line. It allowed for scale. It allowed for, again, untold prosperity. They were able to turn out so many more cars than they ever could before. But the thing that it replaced was what is called the craft method of production. In fact, here's how Henry Ford himself explained the old method before the assembly line. He said, We simply started to put a car together at a spot on the floor. Workmen brought to it the parts as they were needed in exactly the same way that one builds a house. We often look at the craft method in in comparison to the assembly line and say, well, that's far less efficient, isn't it? You know, in many productivity books are going to talk about like, you know, automation, uh, what, what Henry Ford did there was amazing. And that's, we should think about that in our own productivity. Do you want to save time, increase output, right? And there are aspects to that that are good, but I think it's important to remember what was lost. You see, there's a reason they called it the craft method. And that was because the guys who were assembling these cars were craftsmen. They were experts at what they did. And what happened to the craft after this automation stuff took off? Well, it sort of went away. The workers at the assembly line became almost like parts of the machine themselves, just repeating the same process over and over and over. So yeah, it it made them able to make more cars. They were able to do it more cheaply. Uh, It's amazing, actually, the history of the Model T that they made it cheaper every single year that they produced it. I mean, think about that. The cost of the car went down every year instead of going up. That's incredible. And that was in large part due to their ability to automate these things. But what did it mean for the worker? What did it mean for craftsmanship? What did it mean for satisfaction in our work? And I think this is something a lot of us feel today. If you're anything like me and you work at a computer full time, what do you like to do when you have free time? You like to do something with your hands. You like to do a hobby. This is why I loved owning a home and working on stuff. Because it was like, yeah, I could feel the satisfaction of my work. I could see a complete uh, thing, something I had done. 
but there's so much less satisfaction when you're at a computer. And I think that it's also true, I know that it's true, of people who moved to the assembly line initially. They were not pouring themselves into it. They had no opportunity to increase their skill, to see themselves become better. They simply just did one thing over and over and over again. And so in many ways, the Industrial Revolution led to the death of expertise and to monotony for workers. So that in turn resulted in very low satisfaction with work. And I think a lot of us, no matter what you do for work, feel that today. You're not making something. Something is wrong with, with your work. You don't feel that it's actually producing a result that you're proud of. But I think we were made for this. We were made for the Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 2.24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. You hear that? Find enjoyment in your toil, finding enjoyment in your work. So many people I talk to hate their jobs. They don't find enjoyment in it. And I think a lot of that can be traced back to the Industrial Revolution and this sort of streamlining of stuff where it dehumanized us and made us just cogs in a machine. So the Industrial Revolution ruined work satisfaction. But there's other things it ruined. I think that the Industrial Revolution ruined our understanding of time. And this is no minor point. How we view time is how we view the world. But a few of us have taken the time to reflect on how our present view of time itself differs from the majority of human history and even other parts of the non-Western world. As you look back, a lot of historians will talk about this. The Industrial Revolution, you know, a lot of people have attributed it to the, the invention of the steam engine, that that's what kicked it off. They got the steam engine started and then the, revol the Industrial Revolution just followed shortly behind. That's a big part of it for sure. But before that, something that enabled even that to happen was the clock. The clock. I mean, think about the history of the clock. The mechanical clock was invented around 1400 AD, and it has been called by some historians the mother of inventions. Think about this. For the first time ever, people were able to measure time with precision. Before that, you had hourglasses and sundials, and they gave you like an approximation of time, but nothing came even remotely close to the mechanical clock. And it brought that precision, that coordination, uh, it brought with it that pressure, and ultimately it brought on the Industrial Revolution. And you can see how it enabled this activity because it allowed these guys for the first time to manage hundreds of people working in mills and factories and actually coordinate them to actually tell someone, be here at this time. I mean, that wasn't previously possible. You say, be here at sunrise. And you'd be like, ah, that's roughly when? Like, at what point is sunrise? And so people just kind of mill about and, and they show up, you know, over the course of an hour or so. That's how it used to be. But the clock allowed for that precision that allowed for coordination so that people could work fixed hours, often six days a week, to keep the machines running. In his book, Carpe Diem Redeemed, Oz Guinness notes that our Western notions of time and precision are unique in history. And even now in some parts of the world, uh, he has some different quotes in there that I love. He said that there's a saying, uh, a Filipino saying, that says, Westerners are people with gods on their wrists. And there's a Kenyan saying, which says, all Westerners have watches, Africans have time. And when you pause and reflect on it, much of what differentiates Western culture from other cultures is our view of time. 
if you ever had that experience where um, you go maybe on a missions trip to some other country and people just don't show up to things on time. You know, if you go to like the Bahamas or whatever, or some island places, they talk about going, living on island time, right? And a lot of that is, isn't, uh, it's not laziness. It's not disrespect. It's simply a different view of time, even though they, obviously they have mechanical clocks now, it hasn't taken over their society the same way it has in industrialized nations. And obviously, again, there's positives to this that allowed us coordinating, to build incredible things. But what did it take away from us? What did it take away from us when we started to think of time uh, as a commodity, of time as something measurable that you could you could attach a unit to? Well, it allowed, of course, for the easy conversion of time to money, people's time into money. And one thing I have realized is how much this pervades my understanding of personal productivity, I think in a negative way. You see, I approach or have approached in the past my personal productivity, my, my work as a slavish obedience to specific clock time, right? I schedule this thing from this hour to this hour. When that ends, I immediately start the next hour and on and on and on. And that's helpful. Like you get more done in a day, but I think it does something to the way you view your work and the way that you view life in general. And in fact, it does something to the way that I interpret the scriptures, I've realized. Like when I read verses, like in Ephesians 5, and it says, redeem the time. Where does my mind go? It immediately jumps to like schedules and calendars and time blocking. But that wouldn't have been what the original audience would have heard, would it? No, they didn't have that stuff. They didn't have clocks. And so he's talking about redeeming the time. They're not talking about clocks. I mean, this sounds obvious, but we are so stuck in this Western view of time that it's hard for us to step outside of it and think differently. Think like the authors or those who received the writings of scripture would have thought. And I think that there are negatives to that. And I think one of the biggest negatives of all with how the Industrial Revolution has colored our view of time is anxiety of our age. This precision, this uh, commodification of time has led to untold anxiety in our lives and worries and fears and that constant pressure to squeeze more time. And I mean, the, the phrase time management is virtually synonymous with the, the term productivity. We're all worried about how we can manage our time a little bit better. And again, I'm not against this. I'm all for managing our time better. I just wonder, I just wonder, is the way that we're doing it, the way that the Bible talks about managing our time well, or is it the way that Henry Ford talks about managing our time well? Because those are different. The third thing that I believe that the Industrial Revolution ruined is the household. Uh, what I mean is the family unit. Um, this is well documented. I'll just actually share a couple quotes from you um, from different authors who have talked about this. But our households used to be much, much different pre the Industrial Revolution. Nancy Piercy writes, before the Industrial Revolution, when economic work was performed within the household, both men and women spent most of their time in the home and its outbuildings. Fathers were able to be far more involved in the child rearing than today. And mothers were able to be involved in economically productive work without putting the kids in daycare. I mean, that's how I want to live. I don't know about you. That's how I want to live. That description. 
But that changed because of the rise of the Industrial Revolution. That work moved outside the household and it had fundamental impacts on the household itself, on families. Nancy Piercy continues, she said the household was no longer the center of economic activity. Fathers had no choice but to follow their work out of the household and into factories and offices. As a result, they were simply not present at home enough to continue the same level of involvement in teaching and disciplining their children. I think it's interesting because like a lot of our views of what we might call the good old days, sometimes people talk about, oh, you know, back in the 1950s, you know, that's how life was supposed to be. The man went to the office and the woman stayed home and raised the kids. That's not, that's a post-industrial vision, the 1950s, that whole thing. And it was short-lived because eventually it led to women going to the office and then someone else watching the kids and then the rise of public education. And the outsourcing and the, the uh, spreading out of the family unit where we're all doing our own things and we don't know anything about each other's lives. Where even from a productivity standpoint, I mean, Piercy said it, the household used to be the center of economic activity. She mentioned one of those quotes about the outbuildings. You, on your property, your property itself actually was your job often if you were raising livestock or, 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 or doing something like that. Or even a baker, you lived above the bakery. Right. There was there was a very uh, non separated vision of the home and work and what that looked like. And it's one of the things that's exciting. I'll talk more about this in a little bit, but that's one of the things that's exciting to me, honestly, about some of the work from home movement, some of the things that the Internet is enabling us to do, some of the things I'm experiencing right now, the fruits of and I'm benefiting from the creator economy that I can work from home. I can be involved with my kids lives and with my wife simply by doing stuff online. So I think there's there's some interesting things there, which, again, I'll talk more about that in a minute. But we have to th- consider that what we see as normal in today's world was not normal for the majority of human history as concerns specifically right now, the household. And one of the big effects with the household, of course, is what happened to men? What happened to men? Uh, There's sociologist Lawrence uh, Fuchs, I think is how you say his name. He was talking about the Industrial Revolution's impact on the family, and he said, quote, the groundwork for the 20th century fatherless home was set. By the end of the 19th century, For the first time, it was socially and morally acceptable for men not to be involved with their families. For the first time. For the first time. You're talking about the fatherless epidemic. Where did that start? It's rooted in the Industrial Revolution. It's absolutely devastating the way Greg Morse puts this, writing for Desiring God. He says, The father went from the head, leading a body, engaged in the education of children, the care of the elderly, the production of a family business, the passing on of a family trade, the shepherding of souls, the defense of the community, the regulating of relations between members, and the representation of the family and society, to the one who spends vast time away from his home, working for another's household, a corporation or a government giving what little he has left to his family when he returns. I don't like that. (laughs) How about you? I don't like it. And uh, I see you trace it back, the history of it. it, This all is rooted in the Industrial Revolution and assumptions about the way that we think the world ought to be. All right, next, the Industrial Revolution also ruined our understanding of productivity. In his book, Productivity, Doug Wilson points out that most of the metaphors we use when we talk about personal productivity are actually borrowed from the language of the Industrial Revolution and the factory. 
you know, we'll talk about our outputs. We'll talk about, you know, having things running like a well-oiled machine. We'll talk about our routines, right? The, it's it's all language borrowed from the industrial world. And previously, and I've talked about this before in this podcast, but previously the word productive before the Industrial Revolution would have been used to talk about agriculture, things like um, yield of crops, you know, a productive harvest or, or, or a fruit tree that was particularly fruitful would be called productive. That's why when you go to the grocery store, uh, it's called the produce section where you get the stuff that was grown. But the term actually was hijacked by the Industrial Revolution, particularly by a guy named Frederick Winslow Taylor. If you've ever heard of Taylorism, you know, or... or you remember that stuff we learned about in school where there's a guy with a stopwatch watching the people who are working in the factories and they're timing them. They're trying to shave seconds off of their each motion they make, each uh, their bathroom breaks, you know, make them shorter so that they can shave, you know, one one millionth of a percentage point off of uh, the bottom line. So a lot of the modern theories of personal productivity, they're they're rooted in these principles of factory management. Um and uh, Taylor, Frederick Taylor, who I mentioned, his 1911 book, The Principles of Scientific Management, basically became required reading for anybody who wanted to make their factory run as efficiently as Henry Ford or some of these other titans of industry. And later, uh, Peter Drucker, he's the guy who adapted and expanded on Taylor's theories and moved them into the white collar business world. And basically anybody who talks about knowledge management or knowledge workers or personal productivity in the office space, they're kind of all sitting on the shoulders of Drucker. He's the guy who actually invented the term knowledge worker. He's the guy who invented the, uh, the whole effectiveness versus efficiency dichotomy that people talk about. But when Drucker got a hold of this, he still kept the language of the factory and that mindset, because remember, he's helping managers, he's helping white collar business owners take some of these same uh, rules about how you make people more efficient to produce machines and applying them to the business world. The problem is, is still treating people like machines, just like the Industrial Revolution reduced people to cogs in a machine, uh, the factory workers. The same thing was happening in the offices and still happens today. And so our whole vision of what it means to be productive and, and saving time and trying to automate things, like there are good aspects to that, to automation. I'm not poo-pooing it. I mean, I, I do all this stuff. I, I commend it to people so that we can be more uh, effective with our time. But the notion that uh, it's all about the bottom line, it's all about outputs, I think that that is a bad thing overall about how we view productivity. And here's the primary reason. We should still be viewing productivity in an agricultural sense, like a productive fruit tree. That's how the Bible describes it. That's what, that's what when, when Christ talks about us bearing much fruit, that's the type of productivity we should be about. And the difference is you're focused on the type of person you're becoming or the type of tree, right, that produces good fruit rather than being focused on the outcome like you do in the factory where it's basically in factory view of productivity, you're just trying to do whatever it takes to increase the bottom line. In the fruit bearing version, your focus isn't actually on the fruit, it's on the roots. How do you cultivate a healthy tree? And that's how, again, that's how Christ talks about it. That's how the Bible talks about it. And I think that's how we should think about it. And we have to be very, very careful 
that we don't let our minds and our vision of productivity be shaped so much by the industrial revolution and some of the writing that's downstream from that and rather kind of rewind the clock a little bit and think more in agricultural terms. Okay, listen, I, I know this has been a bit of a rant and this is all over the place and you're like, okay, cool history lesson. What's the what's the point here? Well, I want to give some reasons about why I'm actually hopeful and why I think that understanding the history actually matters. Um, yeah, I do think, again, the Industrial Revolution has brought us untold prosperity. There's been so many, so many positives. It's lifted people up. Um, it's helped um, the, the West become dominant in the world. I mean, it's amazing what has happened in, in human ingenuity and, you know, God-ordained creativity in man. Like, it's, there's so many commendable things. But you have to consider what has been lost. You have to try, I think, to gain some objectivity about your moment in history so that it, you don't fall prey to some of the mistakes that uh, you, you being living in this moment can lead to. C.S. Lewis, you know, he has that famous essay on the reading of old books. I think it appears at the beginning of one of Athanasius's works. There's a reprint of it. And that's where I read it the first time. It was like the foreword to it. And he was talking about reading old books. And there's a quote in that book that I really love. C.S. Lewis writes, Every age has its own outlook. It is specially good at seeing certain truths and specially liable to make certain mistakes. We all, therefore, need the books that will correct the characteristic mistakes of our own period. And that means the old books. His point is, I mean, it's kind of like a fish in water. A fish doesn't know he's in water. Right? He's just, that's is, that's his world. It's the same way with our moment in time, our moment in history you live in. It's hard for us to recognize our own assumptions while we're living in the present age because it's like the stuff, we're, it's what we eat and breathe. We're living in it. It's hard to have objectivity about it. And that's why history and most especially uh, scripture are useful to help us to check ourselves against those sort of invisible forces of our present day that shape our thinking about what's normal, what's right, or even what's good, or even what's worthy of us pursuing with our lives. And I just find this to be incredibly, incredibly important when it comes to work and productivity in the household and all these things to recognize, yo, that is not what we're living in is normal for our age, certainly. But in terms of the wide swath of history, it's very abnormal. And though it has brought good things, it has also brought with us bad things. There's been a trade-off. And to recognize where it's affected, you're thinking about time, you're thinking about work, you're thinking about productivity, you're thinking about your own home and your family, is wise. It's wise to step out of time, as it were, and examine it and, and make changes where you can, where it's possible, so that you can live a life that's more uh, comporting with what God would have us live. And I'm not a Luddite. I'm not saying that we need to all go back to the farm. But I think that it would be wise for us to not always just assume that newer is better, that the progress of time is uh, coextensive with progress in general. You know what I mean? That anything that is newer must be better, that, that, that the Industrial Revolution only brought good. Every new era brings good and bad. We talked about this some on the last episode about the metaverse. It's going to bring with it really cool opportunities. It's also going to bring really nasty, terrible stuff. Having our heads up is the only way that we're going to be able to engage with that in a way that honors God. It's beneficial to us and uh, doesn't 
just allow us to be swept away with every new trend blindly. But there's a couple of things that make me hopeful about what I see as us standing on the cusp of a new era. And I, and I do mean that. I think that we're about to experience a very big transition uh, to more of a digital life. And just as we talked about in the last episode um, with Ian and Patrick, there are positives and there are negatives to that. But but there's trends I see that are actually involved with both like technological advances with the metaverse stuff and also some trends I see with people getting back to basics. And I'll just note those two right here. I, one thing that makes me hopeful is I see a movement of more of a family focus. My wife pointed out something to me the other day that I hadn't thought of. She said, have you ever noticed like in the 90s, like every movie was about like divorced parents and stuff and like the dad being absent. But now like new shows and new movies that are coming out, that's kind of a rare uh, archetype to see. Usually the father is super involved. And if anything, he's kind of like too involved. Like he's just very family kid focused. And I hadn't noticed that. But I now that she said it, I see it everywhere. It is there is a movement towards a focus on family. Also, likewise, we saw this come up, I think, um, with pandemic stuff, but definitely, I don't know about you, the the circles you run in, but I see a lot of people I know moving towards simpler living, getting a little bit of land, growing some of their own food, getting some animals, slowing down, moving more rurally because, uh, you know, online remote work has enabled this. And that's really the other side of it is, is there's, there's people valuing family. They're valuing a simpler, slower life. But what's ironic is that's being enabled by technology. It's been enabled by uh, readily available um, internet and fast bandwidth that allows for video calling and people to live and work truly remotely. It's un- it's unprecedented. It's very interesting. The the other part of this too is what's been called the creator economy, um, which I suppose I am part of. Is it's easier now than ever to you know quote unquote become your own boss or to support yourself through creating things through writing through videos through podcasting and this is pretty amazing when you think about it because it used to be if you wanted to 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 start a business or start something you need access to capital you need investors you need to save up a, a nest egg and put it at risk but now with all the communication technologies and incredible platforms we have and access you can start something with zero money and if you're upfront cost just time and build it into something that truly supports you and your family. And to do this where you're not having to live in in the big city or commute to some specific office or something. That's exciting to me because it kind of allows for this sort of a barbell strategy where you're you're benefiting from the technology. And I think this will only become even greater and and better once the, the metaverse stuff becomes more accessible and the rise of NFTs and the ownership of creative property um, digitally, natively. But at the same time, you can live a lifestyle, which I do think is more commensurate with how God designed us to live, where you could be more connected to the land, more connected to your family, more involved in the raising of your children and the husband and wife even working together with some sort of family business without being dependent on having to work for some other company or, or some big corporation. And this is a major change from the Industrial Revolution. During the Industrial Revolution, you know, you took people that had family farms and they all moved to the city and they all worked for factories. They all basically became serfs to someone else's kingdom, right? 
where people had a family business, now they were dependent on somebody else. This is a total rant and a side note, and I don't even know if I'll leave this in, but you ever think about the pension fund? Like, it's funny because people don't really do pensions anymore. You ever think about how strange that sounds nowadays that, you know, you'd go work at a factory and they would set aside money and they would basically say, work for us for whatever, 40 years or whatever, 50 years. And at the end of it, we'll pay for your retirement. So don't worry about that. We have a fund set up for you. You think, well, they don't do that now. Now you get like a 401k or something. (laughs) And you got to make sure you're also, you know, doing a bunch of other strategies to save money. You ever think about why they did the pension fund to begin with? It seems like overkill, right? Isn't a job enough? Why do you have to pay for the people after they stop working for you? It's because what the factory owners knew that they were asking the people to give up. Leave your inheritance. Leave your ownership of your family farm. Leave what you're going to pass on to your kids. Leave your equity. Leave what you've built and come build something for me. Come build on my land where I will own everything. And people bought that bargain and they got in and they got the pensions and people early on were, were taken care of. But now they don't even do that. Now they give you a, a 401k. And it's this total lack of freedom, this total lack of autonomy. And I just think it's it's devastating to the human spirit. I told you, this is a rant. I know this is out there. This is out there. But here, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it even simpler. The deeper I've gotten into productivity, the more I have desired to own the results of my productivity. When I work for other people, I am loaning them my life force, my time, my energy to help them build their thing, which is fine. That's a wonderful thing to do if you want to. But I don't get to keep any of the results. And any any gain in productivity, in efficiency, in, in the ability for me to better manage my time and give more value with less amount of time All of the uh, benefits of that are passed on to the employer. I don't retain them. I may get a raise, but it's it's a gamble. Or you may get a, a, a promotion, but even then you don't know. When working for myself, any increase in productivity, any automation, any improvement I make, I feel the effects of that financially. And I own the result. I own my own business. Anytime I make a mistake or I fail or I just try to coast for a week or something, I feel the results. I am personally responsible for my own life. And I really believe that there's a, it's scary, but there's a satisfaction and an enjoyment and a pleasure that is unlike anything I've ever known before in working for yourself in building something that truly is yours and doing it, of course, in a way where I'm seeking to glorify God and honor him with every aspect of it. But I got to tell you, it's like the next level of productivity is when you go from being productive for someone else's benefit only for an employer to being productive and yourself owning the results of that work. It's amazing. Man, so that last part was really off script, but (laughs) let me just wrap it up here. Uh, I think our first stop to reclaim those things that have been tainted or ruined by the Industrial Revolution is to invest ourselves in God's word, to seek to learn, to how he views time, how he views productivity, how he views freedom and the household and work and the family. Because in the scriptures, we have access to the mind of God. And God's perspective is the only source of objective truth. 
If you're trying to step out of time and to evaluate your current circumstances to understand how should I think about this present age, how do I be careful not to be swept away by the same modes of thinking just because I'm a product of the time I've grown up in? You do that by accessing revelation through scripture of the mind of God who sees all things objectively, who can tell you how the world is, who defines what is good, who tells you what your purpose should be, what motivates you, what it, what it means to lead a family, what it means to do good work, what it means to be productive, what true freedom looks like, and how time should be thought of in the grand sweep of history and eternity. I want to be productive because I want to glorify God. And in order to understand what it means to be productive, I have to try, however I can, to think about it more objectively, to think about it the way that God thinks about it. Well, that's all I have for you this week. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. That was kind of a weird one. But uh, I'll see you again here next week where I'm going to give like sort of a wrap up to the year. It'll be my last episode of 2021. I'll do a little bit of reflection in there on things I've learned this year, productivity things I've tried, what's worked, what's failed, and sort of what I'm thinking for 2022 that I want to try to do to make myself more productive, to make myself a better vessel, more fit to bring my king glory. So I'll see you again here next week. But until I do, remember this, in whatever you do, do it well and do it all for the glory of God.